I invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans. A man on a screen, he has now passed away in 2020. I think it was from um, cancer, some terminal illness, um, shortened his life. But the uh, sad thing is, um, which uh, I want to use as an example of should interpret Romans chapter 6. Ravi Zacharias, one of the greatest apologists ever, um, after his death, was found to be guilty of sexual misconduct. Okay? And through these investigations, there was definitely proof. The sad thing is, um, there were people making judgments about his life, even though he's dead. Uh, the judgments were that, oh, how could we have fallen for this man? He was a con artist just because of the dealings that he was found guilty of, all these um, sexual misdemeanors, um, immorality in his life that no one knew about. Um, some maybe have been covered up. Some were apologized for in the past. Some were um, dealt with through legal proceedings and all that mess. The, the, the thing I want to squash, though, is that I believe we're not making the correct judgment if straight away we say, Ravi did that, and therefore there's no way that he was saved. He pretended to be the, the Christian that he was, and I don't think we can go there. I'm not saying... Ravi was definitely saved. I'm not saying that Ravi was a non-believer. First of all, we can't make that judgment ourselves, but to base that judgment on something that he did, in other words, to base that judgment on his behavior is an absolute no-no. It's an absolute no-no. And my proof text for that really is how can I compare his behavior with the man that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul explicitly says that the person committing that awful atrocity of um, having um, sexual contact with his um, father's wife, so in other words, his stepmom, comparing that and still Paul saying, well, we need to get him out of the church, but at the end, his spirit will still be saved. And so what I want to squash is where we are answering this question found in Romans chapter 6 that Paul was challenged with continuously and time and time again I've said in order to fully understand grace, you have to ask this question, shall we continue to sin in that grace may abound. Shall we continue to sin because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And so therefore we're free, we're free from any penalty of sin. Does that mean we can do what we want? And so there's all these answers that we give to interpret what Paul's saying I'm trying to get down to what actually, what is Paul actually saying? 
And I think a big chunk of it will be covered in today. If I had to choose the title or when I upload this online, more than like, I'm going to say, choose wisely, the choice is yours. And I found a meme on that, um, thankfully, conveniently. But choose wisely, the choice is yours. We can either go down a path that's due for failure or we can follow a path that's due for success. And if you're just joining us and not familiar with Romans chapter 6, we're covering this topic of being free from sin. We have the freedom from sin. And so are we free from the penalty of sin? Oh, yes. We are not, or those of us who trust the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, are free from the penalty of sin. What is the penalty of sin? Death, or to put it more specifically, eternal separation from God. And we uh, call that place hell. That's a place that is eternally separated from God. They cannot call upon the name of the Lord. It is nowhere to be seen. They had their chance. Freedom from sin. Are we also free from the power of sin? The answer to that question will be yes also. Because what is the power of sin? The power of sin is that it can be a master over you. It can master you. You're a slave to it, which we all know that when we come into this world, it's because it's fallen. We are all under the power of sin. We are, the sin has also the power to possess you. However, we're free from that power. As well, I am 100% convinced a Christian cannot be possessed by the devil, by sin, cannot be the possessed. And um, I'm convinced that's true because with Christ and the Spirit of God living in me, to me, the Spirit of God cannot reside in somewhere that has at the same place as sin. And as Jesus says himself, um, a house divided cannot stand. And if I had sin um, in me still with alongside Christ living in me, then I would be a house divided. And that does not stand up to Scripture. However, are we free from the presence of sin? Are we free from the presence of sin? And the answer to that question would have to be no. Sin still dwells around us in this fallen world. And so it's really up to us that determines how much effect that presence of sin will have on our lives. And that's what we're getting into. This is a common quote uh, that's from A.W. Tozer a well-known and famous and um, strong um, Christian that has a marvellous testimony, obviously passed on. His quote says, Christian liberty is freedom from sin, not freedom to sin. Okay, you more than likely have heard this before. Because people say, oh, yes, I can do whatever I want because I'm not under the law. Chapter 6, I'm under grace. 
I want to push that a little bit further. I, 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 obviously, I highly respect A.W. Tozer, but I don't think he has fully um, understood, no, 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 that's dangerous to say, fully grasped what Paul is saying just through this one quote. And because we all follow this quote, it's obviously we have a freedom from sin, not the freedom to sin, okay? Um, I want to change that a little bit where we're talking about Christian liberty. We're talking about freedom from sin. If you could define freedom from sin, how would you do it? Christian liberty is the freedom to not have to sin. Freedom to not have to sin. And so if that's a bit confusing for you, then stay tuned because we'll get into that a little bit more. So verse 19a, I, I broke up this verse because it's so long I couldn't fit it in the whole screen with the font that I use. I'm speaking, first of all, he says, with ordinary metaphors because of your limitations. Now, I've used a common English version on purpose here just because that's what I believe what he's saying when you read your version of the Bible. I'm speaking with ordinary metaphors. In other words, because of your limited, um, feeble minds, okay, and your understanding of um, the, the, the work of God and supernatural realms in this uh, world um, and in the heavenly places, I'm going to use ordinary metaphors because of those limitations. Now, what are they once? You offered the parts of your body to be used as slaves to impurity or unrighteousness and to lawless behavior. That Notice that last part. That leads to still more lawless behavior. It leads to more lawless behavior. So you presented your body parts, your members, these things, these things, okay, they're all parts of our body that we can use to sin. Our minds we can use to sin. It can be classed as a part of the body. You offered that as slaves to sin, you could say. Slaves to unrighteousness, slaves to impurity and to lawless behavior that led to more lawless behavior. More than likely when... Um, unbelievers uh, get into a state where they um, purposefully and willfully just do the wrong thing that's in opposition to God, it leads down the track to more unlawless behavior. It gets worse. And we could kind of relate that to our own lives as Christians. You might find yourself in a season where you have um, willfully done something that's uh, in opposition to what Christ wants you to do. You know it's, it's walking by the flesh and all of a sudden you find yourself getting into worse and worse things. It gets worse and worse. It's, that's that's, the, that's um, part of what uh, the impact that sin has on human beings. But now, he says, now you should. In other words, it's imperative. Um, most versions just cut out that you should. But he just said, present, present the parts of your body as slaves. It's like he's imploring the Christians to do it. Is he imploring unbelievers to do this? Well, I don't think so. 
He's answering the question, shall we continue to sin that you know, grace may abound because we're not under the law but under grace? I, I'm convinced that Paul is now addressing that issue that when a person gets into that place where I can do whatever I want that's wrong because God's going to forgive me, well, there still has to come back to a point where he has to implore, encourage, persuade that person, no, that's not what God wants you to do. God wants you to present that parts of your body as slaves to righteousness, which makes your lives holy. Present your body. Notice how you are still a slave. And we touched on this the last time about what actually means to be a slave of righteousness because we're either slaves of sin or we're a slave of righteousness. So if you're an unbeliever in this room, you are a slave of sin. You can't get out of it. But if you are a believer, you're still a slave. You've gone into it voluntarily, but you can't get out of it. You're a slave of righteousness. Why can't you get out of it? In other words, why can't you change your mind? Why can't your love for Christ um, extinguish? Because you have Christ living in you. Can Christ leave you? Will Christ leave you? No, because nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even yourself. So try, um, if you've never heard of that, stick with me. Um, so present, please, guys. Present your, slaves, uh, your body as slaves to righteousness, which makes your lives holy. Now, this brings into a doctrine or a, 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 a Christian word that we all know of that probably the lost haven't heard of it. And so it's very, don't use this word when you go out there, but it's our sanctification. Because straight away I could interpret that, what, I'm a bit confused because I chose this version in particular. It makes our lives holy. It doesn't make us holy. Remember, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, he makes us holy, yeah? He declares us as holy and blameless and righteous before God. But it's interesting how, I love it, it makes our lives holy, our actions, our, our pretty much, yes, I, I can't do a better word than lives, our lives. It makes our lives holy. So we're talking about sanctification here. And we've gone through justification. If you can't see that, justification, that's God's declaration and I'll say even further treatment of us as holy. So we are justified in God's sight. Notice how it comes all back down from to salvation. Justification, the declaration of holiness. Then we come to sanctification. We're going to get to this in a bit more um, in Romans 8. You could say that this is the process of holiness. Now, this one's very interesting because there is certain scriptures where we have been sanctified. If you're not familiar with what sanctified actually means, it just means you're set apart. Because if you're saved, aren't you set apart for a purpose? You're set apart from the world, and now you are a child of God, so you're set apart from Adam, from those in the, the flesh and all that. You're set apart. So 
to me, you can only have two statuses of being set apart. You can't be 90% set apart. You can't be 80% set apart. I, to me, you're either not set apart or you are set apart. But with that set apartedness comes a journey. And that sanctification is the word we use to describe that journey. We could also use maybe maturity. But let's just stick to this one word, sanctification. So the process of acting like who you are. Do you always act like who you are? That's the goal. Sometimes we get into these places of temptation where we let our mind be consumed with things that are of this world, things where we think, oh, I deserve to have that in my life. And the focus becomes more on who we used to be rather than who we actually are. And then glorification, which we get into glorifications, actually when we will, we'll have completion um, of holiness. We'll have those glorified bodies where we won't have this, um, this, uh, this mind that plays tricks on us. I believe everything will be renewed. Everything will be perfect. And we won't even have to um, even uh, be tempted to think about sin. Interesting question that, you know, I've had in the past just from a 12-year-old um, student of mine is, does that mean you won't have any free will in, in heaven because you won't have the choice to, to sin and all that? Wow, it's, it's a very extreme answer, but obviously no. But it comes to the point where we will be limited with that capacity to um, be tempted to do those things. So if you want to say that's against our free will, oh, that, that, that's like a, a philosophical debate, isn't it? rather than a theological one. So when you are slaves of sin, and this is where Paul's really addressing the issue, think back, guys. When you were slaves of sin, we were all slaves of sin, yeah? You were free from the control of righteousness. You were free from the control of righteousness. In other words, you could not do anything that was right. Some might agree, some might disagree. And so the question is, well, when a person does something, and I'll put in quotation marks, right out there who is an unbeliever, are they doing the right thing in God's eyes? The answer has to be no. More than likely, they're doing the right thing for personal glorification rather than glorification of God. But I'm going to say there might be a possibility where someone actually has another person's well-being in their heart. Um, in their mind, no, no, um, 
no self um, uh, wanting or self gratification whatsoever in doing that right thing. You would still have to say that that is in God's sight not right because remember all our righteous acts as an unbeliever are like filthy rags. There's an interesting verse in Romans chapter 8, which we're getting to. Those who are in the realm of the flesh, or I like the KGV, that are pretty much those that are in the flesh, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's impossible to please God if you are in the flesh. So what consequences did you get from doing things that you are now ashamed of? Well, the outcomes of those things was death, right? Death. Did anything good come out of doing the wrong thing? The outcome would always be death because that's the penalty of sin if you're in the flesh. But stick with me right now. Okay, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. Again, he's like repeating the same thing again. But the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. This is what I believe he's saying. Why go back to something that leads to death when the benefits you can have of being a slave to God leads you to holiness. Why go back to something that destroyed you, that destroys everyone? That's horrible. Why go back to that? When you can reap the benefits of life, the things of God that brings life. And just to make sure we're all on the same page with these prepositions as we say in the flesh on the flesh by the flesh okay i've done at this table that i've borrowed from someone um this is an example we're, we're asking that question why well first of all can you can you go back to those things that you are now ashamed of i believe the bible's clear that you do have a choice and so we're getting back into that quote. We're free from having to sin. We don't have to anymore, whereas we had to before we came to Christ. Um, here's the example of what we're talking about. So an unbeliever is always classed in scriptures being in the flesh. So if we're in the flesh, it doesn't mean we're doing sinful things. It means we're in Adam. We are unsaved. We're in the flesh. Okay? It's a, so it's a synonym for those things. Um, whereas a believer is always, always in the spirit because the spirit of God is living in you. So you're always in the spirit. You've been baptized. You've, be, you've been immersed um, or yes, um, with God's spirit. Okay. So our minds, though, can be set on two, two ways. We can set our minds on the spirit or on the flesh, but notice there's only one way an unbeliever can set their mind on. 
only on the, the flesh. They can only set their mind on the flesh, regardless of how good they are, regardless of how on the surface they, they good they are. Think of all those uh, moralists that you know of in the area or that have lived through history. They're still setting their minds on the flesh. Why? Because they're gratifying the self-desires. None of it is to glorify God. It's to gratify themselves. It's to serve themselves. It's to, it's to feed themselves. Pride. Still, we have a choice. We can either set our mind on the spirit or set our mind on the flesh, and that's what we've been going through with the whole of chapter 6. And we can also walk by the spirit or walk by the flesh. But unbelievers, they can't walk by the spirit because they don't have the spirit of God in them. We have a choice. They don't. They don't have the choice. There's no freedom for them. They think they're under free, right? But it's not true freedom. Now, have, just have a look at that table and just have those in your minds, especially those prepositions when we are going through um, these, these verses. So I'll remind you, to me, Christian liberty is the freedom to not have to sin. We have a choice. What choice does God want you to make? Well, hopefully you know, right? He wants you to make the one that is led by the Spirit, not the one that is led by our old ways, our old way of thinking. This is Christian liberty. And this is what I think Paul's saying when he's addressing these questions. Because remember, I've, I've touched on this a few times when people say, does that mean, because people add to this question, they say, does this mean that you can do whatever you want? Does that mean if you want to go out and steal, then you can do it because you're already forgiven? The question is, well, no, because I actually don't want to steal. I don't want to do that. So adding all you want is, is it's, it's very um, immature. So I touched on this last week, Galatians 5, 16. So I say this is the answer to all, all our problems. You know, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. As I said last week, hey, if we all walked by the Spirit every single minute of every single day, we'll be on fire. We'll be the most happiest people ever, the most joyful ever, if every minute we walked by the Spirit. Um, but this, this is interesting because I want to address, well, for some of us, because, you know, the flesh, walking by the flesh, some of it can be... Um, Good looking. Some of it could confuse us where we think, oh, well, look on the surface, it looks like it's good. So how can we distinguish between walking by the spirit versus walking by the flesh? How can we know when we're going through a certain circumstance or decision we're making? What can, how can we know? And I want to refer back to this verse again. I've done it so many times. I think it's so important. I think it can sum up everything. 
Whatever you're going through, whatever decision, whatever thoughts you're pondering on, you're wondering, are they from God? Well, ask yourself, are they true? Is it noble or is it honourable? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Virtuous? Is it admirable? I don't think these, when you, when you really study this verse, I don't think these are all, all the same things. I think when you could really, if you take the time, relate whatever thought that is to a different one of these. Um, is it excellent or praiseworthy? Is it worthy of praise? Do I glorify God through it? Think about those things. There's many other verses that you know, we could say, you know, because I did a quick Google search. How do we walk by the Spirit? Meditate on your Bible, pray, uh, you know, the usual things that, that strengthen us. Let's, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Whatever things are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent or praiseworthy. Relate that. Can you match one of those characteristics to whatever thought you're wondering or pondering on about whether, hmm, am I walking by the flesh or walking by the spirit? That's just some practicalities. Now, remember 1 Peter 2.11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desire. So I refer back to our story of Rabbi Zacharias. To me, the question in finding out whether he really was a Christian or whether he was pretending all those years, it's not whether his behaviour was defined by a certain action. It's whether he had a war or conflict going inside him. Can we know whether there was a conflict going on inside him? Obviously not. And it's very hard to do this with each other because when someone is in conflict with the spirit, they're purposely you know, living a lifestyle that is contrary to the, the, the calling that God has, has predestined them to be, conforming into the image of Christ. How can you, usually if there's a conflict going on, they, they don't open up. And you have to be the right person and do it the right way in order to find out. But that's, that's the ultimate, that's where I want to get to. I want to be. Having the time, taking the time where, hey, you want to find out whether someone's really saved? Have to spend enough time with them to see, is there a conflict going on inside their souls? Chances are they're going to be miserable. They're going to be miserable. That's a good sign that they're saved. Because if they're doing the wrong thing and they don't care about it, oh, where's the Spirit of God? But let's not say a certain action determines whether you're a Christian or not. I think that's very immature, very judgmental. 
And then finally, because Paul says, referring back to you're choosing this path of sin again, the wages, meaning that you're earning it, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, please hear me. Hear me correctly that we will never lose. We will never experience eternal death. God cannot take that away from us. He will never take it. That's not his character. That's not who he is. He will never take that away from a person who has genuinely trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But does that mean we won't experience death in other areas? That's why I don't think this is an evangelistic verse. It can be used as an evangelistic verse. But I think Paul's saying, guys, the wages of sin is death. You're choosing to go and sin, then why would you? Because it all leads to death. What death can we experience if we choose to sin? I'll tell you. How many marriages have died that you know of because someone chose to sin? How many relationships have died in your life or someone else's life that you know? Friendships have died. Why? Because we chose to sin. I'm talking about Christians here. This is all for us. How much joy is being forfeited out there? All those fruits of the Spirit, they're being forfeited. I'm purposely not saying they're dying because they can still be brought back from repentance. But why go down that path when it all leads to death? It all leads to misery. Don't choose it. Choose to present your bodies to God, to righteousness, to purity. That's, that's the whole moral of the story with Romans chapter 6. Don't go down that path. Yes, you have the freedom to choose. But why would you? Why would you? When it's inevitable, it will end in disaster. Let's edify one another. Death or life, it's your choice. It is our choice. That's the freedom we have. <sighs> Choose life. And this calls for if you're in this room and you actually haven't chosen life as in eternal life. You haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your saviour. Choose life. Choose life. There's no better way than the way of Jesus. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Let's praise God for that and help us if we're to found ourselves and choosing death over life. Lord God, thank you for who you are as a God that loves us unconditionally. Thank you that you give us freedom. You don't force us to do what's right, but you counsel us when we do what's wrong. Thank you for never, never giving up on us. We're thankful for this life that brings eternal life. 
But we do pray for those people that we may know ourselves, whether they're family, whether they're friends, whether they're neighbours or whoever. We do pray that you will give us opportunities to minister to them where we can help them realise the sadness, the misery that they're choosing to live because we know, Lord, a life with you living in them can never be happy with sin reigning in them. So we just ask for your blessing upon that. We commit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.